Welcome to episode 517 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, January 18th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, what up? Yo. How you doing, man? Doing good. I'm doing good. I, I'm, I'm like a little worried that February is going to just be intense. It, it, it almost has to be. Unless yeah. Derek Hosmer is retiring and J.D. Martinez is retiring. And um, J- Jake Arrieta is going to go do some hipster things for the season instead of playing baseball. Like, it, 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 it's going to have to be, right? These last. <laughs> what what would Jake Arrieta do? I feel like Jake Arrieta would, like, um, raise a couple pot-bellied pigs or something. I, that's exactly where I was at with something with farming and uh, beard grooming. Like, about with a, 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 a beard oil. Beard oil. And, and and he would raise some pigs and have a llama. He'd do some hipster <laughs> shit for sure. There's just no way he wouldn't be on that hipster beat. Uh, we got Justin Mason on the ones and twos. And we're ready to talk some baseball. We do have some moves, right? So it has been slow, again, uh, our lament on every episode lately. But there's at least some activity around a host of outfielders. And we're going to do our, our closer episode. We talked about... Uh, covering a bunch of these uncertain situations, and we've got several of them, so we're going to dive in on those. But let's start with the Andrew McCutcheon deal. Um, Garrett Cole got dealt. We we talked about that as a, a theoretical. You had written your piece. Um, you know, we were saying, well, it it might happen, it might not. Then it happened. Talked about it with Jason. Andrew McCutcheon gets dealt now. He goes out to San Francisco in the deal for Kyle Crick, and I think Brian Reynolds was the name. What did you think when you saw uh, McCutcheon out to out, out to San Francisco? You know, from a real life perspective, I feel you know the Giants might actually be zigging when everyone else is zagging. Everyone else is either trying to punt or um, you know just build these awesome cores of young players and, and build around those with cheap free agents. And the Giants were like, you know what? If it's going to cost us Christian Arroyo and Brian Reynolds, neither of whom is a top 100 prospect, to get Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria, then sign us up. Yeah, I mean, I know they're aged superstars. Let's 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 not mince words on that, but they're still superstar players for sure. Like off, off the field, like like by their cachet. Not that that's the reason to sign awesome. up, but also it, good players still on the field. Yeah, still, and they took their the worst projected left field and third base situation. Bingo in baseball and made them passable. So that's why they're all of a sudden to project to be better than the Diamondbacks and projected into the second wild card and projected into about 87 wins, which, you know, they win 90, you know, and the Dodgers have a bad year where everyone gets injured. You know, it's not, it's not a crazy thing to even think the division, but you know, I think that they're focusing mostly on the wild card and the guys they got are all super stand up citizens, which fits right in with their whole, like, you know, we have a great clubhouse full of, you know, of of great people who want to play together and, and all which engages you know. the city and everything too. like it, yeah. it, it is kind of an uh, a full on press of, yes, we got talent on the field. We got cool guys off the field and, and just getting back to where they were. And I, I do think it was a good move for San Francisco. Your point is the most important and, and a point I think a lot of people forget when assessing moves like this about how. You have to look at what they're going from. And initially when the trade happened, I thought he was going to play center field. McCutcheon was. So that's how I wrote it up. And they would have been improving. Also a terrible spot. So they're still probably going to make an improvement there. 
uh, maybe like a Gerard Dyson or something like that, or even like a Cameron Mabin, and that would be a big improvement. I, even though neither of those two guys is a superstar or anything close to it, they would be improving from such a disaster that it would be a major net positive. Throw in a little bit of health, and and this Giants team's going to be in the thick of it. It's good. It's a tough race out there for the NL wild card, and particularly for their division, as you mentioned with the Dodgers. But I think the Giants are are legitimate contenders now. Yeah, you know they're they've run out of money. They they they're about four million from the cap. They don't want to engage the cap because of draft picks, and mm-hmm. they'll they'll lose draft picks and lose a million dollars of of international spending money. Um, but um, you know they're they're uh, they've run out of money. So now they're they're trying to get like Billy Hamilton or Keon Broxton um, in a trade, perhaps. But they might have run out of prospects because. They didn't have because they didn't have any with. to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> All right. So, I mean, the last guy they have left is Chris Shaw, and that could be that's a top 100 guy, and it could be a guy that they hold on to for the for post Brandon Belt, or it could be a guy they hold on to to for an in season trade because and of course they, they have, have Ramos for in season trade too. But they desperately don't want to trade Ramos. He's almost the untouchable of the group. I think so. so. I mean, there's so much helium behind him. He's only 18, but if he's you know that's if his he, first name, right? Helium Ramos. Yeah, that's right. And if he gets to double A next year or, or at least a high A, uh, he could be, you know, uh, stepping on the field uh, post Bumgarner and, and, and Posey or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, they're going to go cheap in center field. And if they don't acquire anybody, then I think that at least deep leagues uh, should know the name Stephen Duggar. Yes. D-U-G-G-A-R. He won't necessarily wow with any tools however he has changed his batted ball mix he used to be kind of a 50 percent ground ball guy and now he's a 40 percent fly ball guy so he's he's shifted uh and he said all the same things that you hear every you know batter who's made these kind of changes before uh has said in the past he said i used to have a v uh, a bat path that was a v and it would just you know go to one point and try to make contact now i'm i tried to mellow that out and be in the zone longer um, and as you can see, he's hitting more fly balls. So if he can hit for more power, he's had like a basically a 175 ISO since he did that. If he can hit for league average power, you're talking about a guy who's probably going to hit 250 with like a 330 OBP and like a 400 slugging. And some um, speed and a decent arm from the scouting reports I read on Steven Duggar. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the glove is why they would go with him because he's definitely exactly. a defender. So I think that's like kind of like a, a 260, 250, 15-15 guy if they if they just gave him the, the role and ran with it and he had a good year. Obviously, the 15 part would be good for Eno only for sure. Yeah, he does have some speed. Uh, he's been caught a lot, and so maybe they wouldn't have him steal a lot. But I think also he might be in front of the, the, in front of the pitcher. So uh, there's some dynamics there. Maybe you don't want to run in front of the pitcher. Maybe you do. So um you know, I, I think that uh, uh, there's a right now he's sort of the leader. I doubt they have the money for Dyson. I doubt they have the prospects for Hamilton. Maybe they can get Keon Broxton. But what, what about Mabin? Uh, we're going to talk about Curtis Granderson in a moment. Got one year, five mil. Is, is Mabin? If they get one year, five mil for, for Mabin, that's fine. Uh, they might they might have to, like, deal someone to not pay them. You know what to, I mean? To, to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's fair. And. Also, I don't know, at that point, maybe it's health because you could just be right in the same situation where you're using Duggar, Duggar in, anyway. in a month anyway. So maybe Austin Jackson, could he be one year five mil? Carlos Gomez would probably be a little bit more. So yeah, with Tyson. I mean, they have like four mil, so they need someone like one three. 
Uh, uh, Rajay, no, no flexibility you don't for in-season tra- acquisitions. So yeah, you're right. There, it's a tight spot. So maybe Duggar is is the move, and uh, let him kind of roam out there and, and be a defense first guy, bat him eight. And no, uh, Justin Mason working. points out Rajai Davis, not a not a great center fielder, but if you pair him with Duggar, maybe that's that's the ticket. And also, I mean, his last deal was like two for seven or something. I said Rajay. Oh, you said he is agreeing with my great idea. Oh, okay. Right. He said, "Yeah, Paul's brilliant." That's what, oh no, he didn't type that. Never mind. I just tune you out. I don't blame you. You should. <laughs> it's really the way to go. All right. Oh, so but that's... so Andrew McCutcheon, I don't think actually. Um... Oh, we really didn't talk about him. So what do you, right, what do you yeah. expect on the field from him? I don't think it'll hurt him much. I agree uh, because the the right-handed power factor for home runs in Pittsburgh is 88, and in uh, San Francisco it's easier to be right-handed. It's 86. So it is a step down, but that's a small one. Uh, I think park factors are often overrated. And, um, you know, I think he's still going to go on the road and he's going to hit more in Colorado and stuff. So I think he'll hit in Arizona 20. Yeah. Arizona. I think he'll hit, he might hit like 15 on the road and eight at home. Uh, but he'll still get to about 24, which is where he's projected. Um, actually, you know, now that I mentioned the 15 on the road and eight at home, uh, last year he hit uh, 19 on the road and nine at home. There you go. So there you go. And that's you know, how he got to 28. Homer's away from home, but uh, can he have like a 350 to 375 OBP? Sure. Can he? Can he have you know 24 homers? You know with that kind of split again, 10 stolen bases. It's the kind of thing that now is I guess your second or third start uh, outfielder. Um, as opposed to, you know, kind of a starting ace type outfielder that used to For go sure. high draft, but it's still very useful. And he's not, I, I agree. He's, he's 31. And he's got really good plate skills, um, big walk rates for his entire career, solid strikeout rates. So that OBP is going to be there. And if this offense, um, does as well as, as, as we're thinking here, the runs should be there. The upper RBI opportunities, solid move from a I definitely don't think it, it hurts him that much. Don't get too hung up on San Francisco because he is a right-hander and he's McCutcheon's not really been much of a, uh, all fields guy He's really been a, a pull guy throughout his career. But I wonder if maybe he sees a center oppo approach, uh, at home sometimes to maybe throw some doubles and triples into the, uh, into that alley there too. I don't know. So I, I think McCutcheon, I wouldn't move him at all. People that are gonna move him down, great. Move him down a, a little bit, and I'll, I'll jump. I'll jump on him there. I probably get a couple shares of McCutcheon this year because I don't think he's gonna be terribly expensive, and uh, I'll be glad to have him. All right, let's move on to the other outfield move. Uh, Jay Bruce back to the Mets. They did it. Uh, I feel like there's one player a year that this gets talked about at the deadline. Yo, what if they trade him? They get something, and then they re-sign him. How great would that be? It always seems to be like one guy out there that, that gets talked about that, talked about like that in the trade market. And it turned out that it happened to be Bruce. Uh, I don't think he was being talked like that this year when he was traded to the Indians, but now he's back to the team that he was just traded from. Uh, what do you think of Jay Bruce heading back to the Mets? I think that that deal is is totally useful. I think that uh, some of the stuff that's baked into his projections is the knee injury that he had. Uh, he had a couple down years that uh, I think changed the numbers going forward. And last year, he hit the most fly balls he's ever hit. Uh, I think that there's going to be going to be an up and down with him where he ends up around you know 240. Um, sure. It has some like scorching parts of the season, but like 30 homers and 240 batting average for at least the next two years. I think he can do that. There's some question about where he fits in if everyone's healthy. Um, 
you know, center did field, they? Right? No, I'm just kidding. I, are they really going to put Michael Conforto back in center field uh, coming off a shoulder injury when they have Lagares and Nimmo uh, who can play out there? Um, but considering they just signed like an 80 year old first baseman in Adrian <laughs> Gonzalez, uh, or at least his back is 80 years, 80 years old. Yeah, and his, then, his back ages in dog years for sure. <laughs> and then Dom Smith has some bust rate. I think there's an easy way to uh, see Jay Bruce at first in three years or, yep. you know, in the or third year of his contract year. or later this year. If uh, if Conforto's healthy, but they don't want him in center and Lagaris is playing well, um, there's an there's an opportunity there. Lagaris is working uh, with a uh, a new a new hitting coach in the offseason uh, to try and change his launch angle a little bit. If he shows some power, uh, he shows some speed in the past and he could be, you know, kind of a 10-15 guy, 270-10-15 guy. Um, if uh, if he gets the lion's share of the at-bats, he's pretty bad uh, against uh, righties, though. So, a lot, you know, I think there's also an opportunity for Brandon Nimmo here, who I've talked about. I think he has elite plate discipline. Um, he he has okay sort of almost one-to-one power, ground ball to fly ball mix. And in the second half last year, he had an expected Woba of 350, which is – about 15 to 20 percent better than league average so very nice that's and he's a lefty so i think he can play center field when he's young um so you know to me the best outfield when everyone's healthy is nimmo uh conforto um cespedes first with bruce at first or dhing or or yeah at first and then gonzalez is sort of a bench bat but uh and smith in the minors for now yeah the gonzalez move um atlanta's paying him off of the la deal there and so it was really a league minimum gamble to see if he has anything no one would really be that surprised if he comes to spring training he doesn't have it and they go ahead and move on and and maybe he would even retire off of that who knows like i'm just saying yeah he may not you know i may not make it to the season you can hate uh, the it, it is a mets move like it, it's it's such a mets move but it didn't cost them anything like right. literally league minimum, I think five hundred forty-five thousand yeah, is what they, he's going to get from them. Playing, brains are playing for everything. Uh, Nimmo's also a name to to remember because he's now being uh, mentioned in trade talks. So if they trade for an infielder, they kind of do need an infielder right now. It's Flores, um, who's a really bad defender, and maybe platoon bat, and Estrubal Cabrera, who's uh, who's old and a bad defender now uh, at most positions. So. Um, you know, I think that uh, if Nimmo, if they make a big trade, Nimmo will be in it, and uh, that might give him a, a big opportunity if he ends up in Pittsburgh, um, Atlanta. Wait, I don't know. Are you thinking like a Jay Hay? I, you, you know, Pittsburgh. Somebody asked me in my chat today if the 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 package would be better for Josh Harrison. I I don't think so. It's it's one year of Josh Harrison. I think he's the lesser. Oh, player. better than McCutcheon? No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I think that's somebody trying to hate on on Musgrove and and um, uh, would they get Musgrove and Moran, Moran for, for the for the Cole deal, yeah. And then I, and I could see hating on that, but those two guys are gonna play for the Pirates next year. It's well, so not, Feliz, Feliz is gonna be in the bullpen. They got right, three guys they, to put into the roster immediately. And they didn't, and they didn't, um, they didn't get like a eighteen year old that. You know, everyone's drooling about now and forget about them next year. Exactly. So, in fact, yeah, that is the Garrett Cole deal, by the way. So let's let's get your thoughts on it because we were talking on speculation. We didn't really know what was going on, and then it happened. 
Musgrove, Colin Moran are the two big pieces. Feliz, I really don't, you know, they they uh, inked Rivero to a deal. He's the closer unless he somehow gets traded. Feliz, uh, afterthought there. So let's talk about Musgrove, a guy that you've uh, spoke well about on this podcast, and Colin Moran. What do you see out of them for the Pirates this year? Well, the nice thing about the launch angle revolution is that if you start with good contact and you and you up your launch angle, you can still have a decent strikeout rate and add power. And that's, I think, what we saw him around. He he really changed his his batted ball mix. He used to be a 50, 60 percent ground ball guy like David, like David Fries, uh, who's who's going to replace this year, I think. And uh, then last year he was a 33 percent ground ball, 40 percent fly ball guy. Uh, had the best ISO of his career, hit 18 homers in about half a season in AAA. So I could really see him com- coming uh, to the big leagues, having a one-to-one ground ball to fly ball mix, uh, having a- above average power. And if you did that, you would change his projections to like 275, 330, uh, 450 maybe, you know, sort of 18 to 20 homers. Uh, that sort of uh, package I think would push David Fries off because Fries – Always has these good batting averages, but you know, kind of empty. Yeah, and he's also uh, 34 and right-handed, so mm-hmm. you know he had a 108 ISO last year. So I, I think Sweet. there's an opportunity there for Moran to take it. Musgrove, uh, he told me at the um, at the World Series that uh, he changed something mechanically in the minor leagues last year, and when he came up, he was 94 out of the rotation. Uh, and that his, the velocity bump he got last year was not due to going to the pen. If you look at his timeline, his game log, you'll see he was 94 plus in his first start back. He had one more start at like 92, and then he went to the bullpen. So it's really hard to tell if he was telling, like, I don't know, telling the truth. It's not if he yeah. remembers it right. You know, just if, just, it, just if that if that held up, if that matches yeah. the data. But if he is, you know, more 93, 94, uh, he's he's always had decent command. Uh, he's he's probably going to give up fewer homers in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's going to uh, have a free out, at least a free out or two uh, per outing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got some missed stuff too. A twelve percent swinging strike rate, actually better than than you would you know. I, I think the loose rule of thumb uh, is to double the swinging strike rate for a strikeout rate. And he was at 12%, but only 21% on the, on the strikeout rate itself. So maybe there's some extra strikeouts there, which could just come from the pitcher. Just right there, the the one or two of those you get per game could boost him up. Cutting the homers is going to be key for Musgrove. That's really what held him back in both of his two seasons here. 62 innings in 16, 109 last year, and a combined 1.4 homers per nine. PNC definitely helps that. Um, and so, you know, Musgrove, like I said, a guy we've talked about on this show glowingly multiple times somebody you're definitely speculating on an nl only but what about mixed leagues you know is he someone at the back end your eighth or ninth pitcher that you're willing to uh jump in on for mixers yeah i mean the projections alone for a 394 era and eight strikeouts for nine make him an nl only type pitcher um and then you know i think anytime there's an opportunity of switching leagues like this switching parks like this and switching pitching coaches like this there's a lot of different things that can help boost them so um yeah i think i would uh i would go into it i know the projection systems say that musgrove is going to be better than cole i like uh cole for throwing fewer of those four seamers that are getting spanked yes um because the astros don't throw four seamers as much so i'd like to see uh i'd like to see them throw the four seamers less and the the uh, sliders and curves more Maybe we'll see um, something like that. That is something that the Astros like to do 
Charlie Morton went over there and threw more curveballs than he ever thrown before. So Charlie Morton. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's. I, I think they I like, both get better with the move. Really, I completely agree, and I, I really like both. I don't agree with Steamer of having Musgrove better than Cole, though. I think that's outrageous, yeah, to be honest. Where are you getting a one point one homer per nine? It doesn't. No. Yeah. And I think well, it was, maybe it's the park effect. Maybe, but I yeah, I thought it, I thought it was like that before the trade too, but maybe not. Maybe not. Anyway, um, all right. So that's the Pirates. Uh, and and all their moves. Do you think they move Hayward or uh, excuse me, J- Josh Harrison? And if so, is that it? Or because some are saying this is a total rebuild. That I don't agree because I don't think Marte and Bell and Polanco and I don't. Think no, I mean Harrison and yeah, Harrison and Kutch are both not signed for next year. Exactly. So they they're just don't they're just you know sending out whatever's not nailed down basically. They were obvious moves, and then uh, if if Harrison happens and Cole was. Um, a little bit early, but if they love Musgrove as a centerpiece and, and Moran as somebody who's a legit starting third baseman, then I understand why they did it. I know it wasn't a, a maybe super flashy return because people might not be hyped on Musgrove and Moran, but you know, I, I don't think it was a terrible move for them. So uh, they're more retooling than rebuilding as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the last move, Granderson to Toronto, one year, five mil, as I mentioned, probably going to be a platoon guy. Uh, or, or not not probably he's going to be a platoon guy but is he going to be fully on the strong side of it or is, is he going to mix in this looks to hurt my boy Teoscar right off the top Teoscar Hernandez uh, because it looks like Pilar and Pierce will be in center and left respectively with Granderson and right or is it just Pierce Granderson straight up platoon and Teoscar stays up what do you think about Granderson in Toronto I think it's Pierce and Granderson uh, to me, Tasker and uh, PR have the or Pilar, sorry, have uh, have the full roles. I know right now our depth charts say it's Pierce in the platoon and Granderson in the platoon which hit Tasker, but they they kind of need to catch lightning in a bottle, I think, to to surpass the two guys in front of them. Certainly. So I think that is you know start all the guys who were young at the beginning of the year, uh, and then if they you know, if they aren't good, just trade all the veteran pieces or continue playing the young guys or call <laughs> up Anthony Alford um, and see what he can do. And then go um, Alford, Teoscar and and Pilar. That's, yeah. I mean, you don't you don't need Pierce. You don't need Granderson. Granderson signed for so little that it doesn't matter. Exactly. It, re- it really doesn't. But they're going to take their shot, see what they've got here. Uh, they're in a position where I think it's tough to do a full teardown. So they're kind of trying to supplement they need pitching health you know marco estrada just had something come out that said that part of the reason that he you know why he had such a lull there was he wasn't sleeping properly and once that got back on track he felt like he got back on track of course aaron sanchez had the disastrous season with the blisters and stuff they need both of those guys to be putting up at least a buck 60 innings wise um, if they want to have any hope and they probably need one of them to go 180 plus with stroman and hap and that would give them a nice Quartet at the top, decent offense. We'll see what Smoke does. I know you're not a huge believer. Donaldson got going. I think there's no reason to, um, you know, not expect him to be great. And then we'll see kind of what the rest of the lineup does, though, because it is, it's names that you could envision having good seasons, but that probably aren't projected to be great, like Kendris Morales, Pierce, uh, Youngervis Salarte, sweet, sweet Troy Tulowitzki, Russell Martin. So. It's not a great team. You're right about lightning in a bottle. They might need to put catch lightning in a fucking jug 
Like they need it bigger than a bottle because I just, a bunch of different lightnings. Yes, they need multiple lightnings in multiple vessels. So yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes with them uh, up in Toronto. But Curtis Granderson, greatest player ever. I wish him the best. <laughs> and uh, if they don't want him, just send him to Detroit. I know that we're rebuilding, but we could put Curtis Granderson in, and he could just be on my favorite team again. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk some closers. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten situations that are uncertain and have questions and could easily flip from the perceived guy right now to something different in uh, spring training or or even before with a move via trade or free agency. So let's just go in alphabetical order. These are not ranked in terms of steadiness or anything like that. Just alphabetical order. We'll start with Arizona. Talked about Archie Bradley. Uh, I love Archie Bradley. I certainly think he can hold the ninth. But there's also kind of the sabermetric play of maybe he's much better being the two-inning guy in the middle to get to the ninth. And then somebody like Brad Boxberger or uh, Yoshihisa Hirano, uh, a guy they brought over from Japan, a 34-year-old, maybe one of those two has the job. So Bradley, I'm definitely still drafting him as such, but he's not a lockdown guarantee. There's definitely some uncertainty there that that could change because they might want him in that uh, that more crucial middle innings role. How do you view the Arizona Diamondbacks closer situation? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the, the manager there is AJ Hinch. Is that right? Oh, no, no, no. Hinch is in. Uh, um, oh, this the Houston, Astros, of course. Tori Lavolo. Tori Lavolo, who came from the Red Sox. Austin. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I, I mean, I do know that, for example, last year we thought it would be Bradley all year and it wasn't. They went with Rodney, right? They kept running Rodney out there into the postseason almost. And then, and then Bradley took it over. Yeah. in the postseason, I think Bradley took it over. Yeah. He was, well, actually not even full. Well, they didn't play long enough to run <laughs> have a great feel on that. Sorry, Diamondbacks fans. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think, I think, um, what's his head? I think Rodney still closed out the wild card game, right? So they really did ride it out. Yeah, because Bradley came in. Um, I don't remember exactly when he came in, but I, I felt like Rodney closed out the, the, the W there in the wild card game. But don't quote me on that. The point is, they didn't go with the quote unquote best guy because Bradley for much of the season, at least, yeah. Even yeah. if even if it changed in the in the in the off season, uh, in the postseason, um, you know. And then, uh, I mean, I, I think Archie Bradley's still the favorite. Like, yeah, and one thing, let me say, talk our way around that too much, but one thing I will say, hate on uh, Rodney, however you want, but he has the pelts on the wall as far as a closer. Brad Boxberger has one season, and yeah, it was an AL high 41 saves with Tampa Bay, but that was in 2015, and he's pitched a total of like 50 innings the last two years combined. And then as far as um, Hirano coming over from Japan, I don't really know a whole lot about him. I just know that. I do know that Hirano's velocity was down last year, so I don't know if they're hoping that, you know, the the bigger mound here or the ball or that his health is going to be better, but... um... He's a uh, bat messer either. Um, yeah. So I don't think Hirano's really in the mix. I think it's Boxberger or Bradley. I think if Boxberger comes in in the spring, Boxberger showed up in my uh, best changeups by movement of velocity at number one. Nasty. So, yeah, he's got a nasty changeup. If he's pumping gas and basically they have him for two years, 
he can um, he can make more money by making saves this year. But since his baseline is 1.85, I doubt they're going to jump him up to 10 million if he has a year as a closer. So um, on the other hand, Archie Bradley, if uh, he's right now uh, going to go into arbitration for the first time in 2019, if he comes into arbitration in 2019 as a 30 save closer, they're gonna they're gonna have him already at three or four million. Yeah, that um, completely changes the dynamics, which is then, so stupid. By the way, can we we need to get yeah. the arbitration the process? Year, they'll pay him, you know, ten million, and then, you know, it might be over ten million by the time he gets to his third year arbitration. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, if they if they they could save a lot of money, they could save you know ten fifteen million dollars over three years by uh, by pitching Brad Boxberger right now. Uh, as the closer so here's the beauty if you're in early drafts and you're taking bradley and he doesn't end up with the job i do think he is in that kind of andrew miller realm where he'll do enough in his 75 innings that uh, even in a mixed league it wouldn't be awful to have him and another thing you know in some of these situations there are two or three possibilities um this one i'm fairly confident there's two so, like, we're going to talk later about, like, the White Sox or whatever, or maybe Texas. There's a lot of things going on there, and there's a bunch of guys. And if you tried to, like, lock down that bullpen in, I don't know why you would want to. <laughs> You're wasting a lot of roster spots. <laughs> yeah, a lot. I'm going to spend a lot of roster spots on the White Sox closer. Well, I got it, dude. I got Juan Manaya and Nate Jones. Oh, my God. Yes, I got all three. Right. But, but here, in this case, you could get Bradley and Boxberger. And lock down the Arizona pen. It might be a good pen. Might have a lot of saves, and both pitchers might be useful. And it's doubtful that they're going to string you along with bad stats all all year. You know, I agree. I think so. that's a, a great way to put it. So don't be afraid of the Arizona situation. If you like Bradley, don't be afraid to throw Boxberger on the end there. And and you, you should have two useful uh, relievers. Let's move on to Baltimore. That situation is up in the air, of course, because of Zach Britton's injury. I think it was. A month ago that he had the injury, and they said six months from then. So the fact is he's going to miss some time right out of the gate. That That's just a guarantee. Uh, let's see. He's out. Uh, going to miss the first half. So he's just going to flat out miss the first half of the season, Zach Britton is, at least, right? We talk about this a lot. Don't just blindly believe the timeline, especially a timeline this long. If he's already out till the half, you could easily lose all of July. And then you're talking about in August. So I'm not messing with Zach Britton at all. So that brings Brad Brock and Darren O'Day to the forefront. I really think it's Brock uh, a, a clear cut ahead. But I did kind of want to talk about this Baltimore situation just to see where you're at maybe on Brock and if you're taking any flyers on Britton. So what do you think about Baltimore? The only way I'm going to take Britton is in the last three rounds with you know three DL slots or more. The way that they've been using the DL slots, it's really hard to to burn a DL slot in the draft. Absolutely, uh, unless I mean, it's a guy that's like super high impact and and has a timeline of like a month max. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like remember, you have to sometimes you have to be like, oh, what was last year like again? Last year was really hard when it came to DL slots. We were all talking about dropping major players because they were on the DL, and we had eight people on the DL. It was so, terrible. So buying buying a guy who's injured this year may not be um, the smartest play, except for the certain certain leagues like AL Labor, you have unlimited DL. So 
in that league, I might spend three, four, five bucks on Britain just because he might be my deadline acquisition, you know? Exactly. Um, that's a, that's an extenuating circumstance in an AL only where you could get such a key piece in such a shallow league because that's 12-team AL. So, yeah. yeah, he does need to go in that league, Britain does, because he could be even the two months could be a major asset for you. Brock is approaching free agency. He's the best pitcher probably in that bullpen, and they could easily pump him up and trade him if they're bad and they don't when, look like they're going to be great. When they're bad. <laughs> so, I'm gonna so, do it. I'm gonna be, you know. I know the stats community has every crapped on this team <laughs> every year, and it always backfires. You know, I learned the mistake a couple. You know, a couple of those years, I was like, okay, I see all the projections. I'm just gonna wait to reserve judgment on them. This year, I don't see it, man, because part of the reason that they always beat the projections is because they had such a deep bullpen, and they just got a big leg cut out, and it was a left-handed leg. By the way, we should bring up Michael Gibbons as well. I do yeah, like. Yeah, I think. Day. What? I was going to bring up Michael Gibbons. Oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Bring That's up. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> Brock, I think, is the clear guy, but Givens and O'Day are there. And O'Day, I think, is just better used in the in the setup role because you really want to protect him against lefties. I actually think Givens would be the second guy. I hadn't listed him originally, and then I, I thought about him. I was like, wait, I got to get got to get Givens in there. So go ahead. Yeah, talk about well, uh, Brock and just, Givens. He's really good. He's a former shortstop that has a weird, funky delivery where he looks like it's sidearm, but he has like kind of an over-the-top hand position. So that gives him like this weird cuts, cut fastball that comes out of an arm, a sidearm slot. And I think that maybe people will start to get used to it at some point, but it still goes 96. So it's not, um, it's not like uh, a Darren O'Day situation where it's not floating up there. It, yeah. It's not floating up there. So um, I think he's a really good, uh, really good pitcher. Uh, he's been very durable, 78, four and 78 innings over the last two years. Um, and I think he's probably the long-term closer. At least he's the closer after Brock and Britain. Uh, but I'm not sure how many saves that gives him this year. You know, the the depth charts. The way the way we do it is we assign a, a closer, and then um, there's like two guys after him, and we do a little bit of a percentage. And so that's why Givens ends up with eight saves or six saves from the depth charts because he's our the third best reliever, and we. You know, the third gets best reliever gets a few saves. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's hard to use that, you know, when you do if you could do your own projections, I would I would finagle the uh, saves by hand. I don't think I would do like I some sort of agree. Break. you have to you'd have to kind of fin- to put them out. And if you had 30 saves for um, the Orioles this year or 35, uh, I'd probably go 12, 12, 12, you know, because. The beginning of the season would be Brock. Um, who knows what happens around the trade deadline? You could they could trade Brock and Britain, and all of a sudden Givens is in there. So, I think that's fair uh, on the Baltimore situation. So draft Brock as as the guy, spec on Givens, and then your league situation sh- should determine whether or not you want to hold Zach Britton. If you have limited spots, I say just fully pass. Um, I'm talking three or fewer. If you've got more than that uh, or unlimited, then Britain comes back into play. There's also an interesting bullpen. Here's actually a bullpen where it's very hard to handcuff, and it also might be a good bullpen. So, yep. Um, I I would st- I, in some ways I might stay away from it um, in a uh, in a mixed league because as good as Brad Brock is, unless you get him as your third or fourth closer, um, you don't know how many saves he'll get. You know? No, you really don't. And 
you know, is, he, is he definitely going to be good enough to, to keep when he's not getting saves? Uh, I don't know. Not in a, could, like in a 10 or 12 league. I'm not sure. And he could be like dealt. Right. He could be dealt. And he could and, be and, dealt. And, and is he dealt going to be dealt definitely to be the closer? Or could he be dealt to the Yankees or the Astros or somebody to be the setup guy in a great oh, bullpen? I could totally see that. Like, he doesn't have enough save uh, experience to be like, oh, no, I'm getting traded to be a closer somewhere. So I, I totally agree with that. Be careful. I would take Brock. I would spec Givens and AL, and uh, I don't think I would mess with O'Day. All right, let's move on to Chicago because both teams are are uh, uncertain. We briefly mentioned the White Sox. Let's talk about the Cubs first, though. They did sign Brandon Morrow, and it looks like he's going to be the guy initially. But, I mean, that has a lot of uh, its own complications there because Brandon Morrow – just not really the uh, uh, paragon of health by any stretch of the imagination. Had a fantastic year last year, real, real nice um, re-breakout season, so so to speak, with the with the Dodgers. There kind of started doing some things in in 16, but he only had like 16 innings in in 2016, and and the results weren't there. Some of the stuff was there, and then last year, boom, just took off. 44 innings, um, 44 innings actually was thrown in the World Series. That he he threw, which is crazy. <laughs> no, he had 44 innings in the regular season, uh, 10.3 strikeouts, 1.9 walks, didn't allow a single homer, um, and then in the playoffs, I mean, they ran him into the ground. He pitched in all seven games of the World Series, 13 and two thirds innings in the playoffs, even with some shaky World Series. I think it was two outings that he had uh, issues in. He still had a 3.95 and a .95 whip. So it was just, it was more of like a destruction outing as opposed to uh, outright struggles based on what you're seeing from the whip and the component number 6.0 strikeout to walk ratio. So 33-year-old Brandon Morrow probably going to come in with the job, but then Carl Edwards Jr. and Pedro Strope are lingering should the uh, chronic health issues pop back up or if he's just ineffective. Like there's no guarantee that he's going to be effective. So what do you think of the uh, Cubs situation this year? I think when he's in, he'll be effective. The The problem is exactly what you're talking about. And it's not – he didn't struggle the whole playoffs. What he struggled in were some of the back-to-back-to-back yes. situations he found himself in. He lost a tick on his fastball. His slider wasn't the same. And he gave up some home runs in in those situations where he was overused. In fact, so it was specifically one. It was the one where he gave up the two homers, and it was his third day in a row. Uh-huh. And he gave up four hits, four runs, two yaks, didn't get a single out, and that completely pooped all over his playoff numbers. And he hasn't – what's interesting is he hasn't been a reliever for all that long. Um, I mean, he he has and he hasn't. I mean, he uh, – He started as a reliever, then right. started, and then well, transitioned the last back in 14. The last year he didn't have more starts than relief appearances. The first year he didn't have more starts than relief appearances was 2014. And the last year – that he didn't have any starting appearances. The first year he didn't have any starting appearances was last year. Yes. Even in 2016, he had starts. So I think, um, you know, taking a guy who had uh, this crazy of an injury history and then putting him into a new role and then putting him in the playoffs and then using him like no one's ever been used before. He set the (laughs) record for a number of games while he, he tied. He tied the record of number of games thrown in a series where he threw all seven in the in the World Series. Um, Mike, Dr. Mike Sung, Sung, S-O-N-N-E, uh, he's on Twitter, Dr. Mike Sung, uh, created a thing called uh, uh, Fatigue Units, and Brandon Morrow had the most fatigue units of all time. He broke the chart. And uh, if you look at just pure pitches 
thrown in the World Series, he was in the top 10, and Jansen was in the top 10, and Maeda was in the top 10. So they really rode their bullpen hard. Then, you know, the, the Dodgers were fine to let him go, um, and the, the Cubs sign him. I might stay away because I think people are going to see that pristine ERA, the good, uh, the good projections, uh, the Cubs team, and the nasty stuff. Like he's, the, nasty the stuff, stuff is they're sexy. Gonna remember him. It's going to be almost like that NCAA tournament bubble, right? Where That's you a great call. you get a guy coming out of basketball who you know shoots lights out for March Madness, and we all remember his name, and then he gets drafted, and he's kind of not that great. He's like, yeah, he's like uh, uh, in the D League or the right. G League now, as it's called. And they're like, that guy had to go to the G League. I thought he had that beast series or yeah. that beast tournament. Yeah, he did. It was five games though, and it doesn't really mean that much. No, I think that's a great point. There's there there's always a couple playoff bubble guys every year that 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 really get pushed up. <laughs> like that Steph Curry dude is what is what Justin said. Yeah, that guy. When, whatever that happened, to that guy after the uh, the run with Davidson, that guy didn't do anything. Tweener. Um, but no, I uh, yeah, I mean, I could see we have them projected for 65 innings, too. So all the projection systems based uh, numbers, all the, the calculators that everyone's running out there are going to pick up the 65 innings as if it's gospel. And uh, he hasn't had 65 innings in a, in a season since I mean, last year he had 63 innings. But if, let's be dogmatic about it. he's 65. When's the last time he had 65? Uh, 2012. Uh, 2012. When he was a starter. And he only managed 33, 33, 16. Crazy. It's crazy. I mean, if the judge was a starter back then, too. So, yeah. And like, that's more like 40 innings. The stuff is there, but um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty. So that brings in Carl Edwards Jr. and Pedro Strope. Who do you like better between those two? And then again, assess how you would dive into this bullpen if you would touch it at all in a mixed league situation. Yeah, I I like Edwards. I might draft him near the end. I, I always have guys like Edwards. Uh, I always have like two or three of them at the end. I, I try to get like, I was trying to explain to somebody, you know, NFBC drafts are happening now, and a lot of them are draft and hold. And I was trying to explain like how I might build a bullpen. And I said, you know, I'd like to have one elite guy so I, I said like maybe a Kimbrel because I wouldn't necessarily have to pay the Jansen price him coming off of a heavy usage as well uh, wouldn't have to pay the Chapman price so maybe Kimbrel Kimbrel's actually more expensive than Chapman right now the market is a little sour on Chapman relative relatively speaking he's not okay, going well, for I some to, obscene I discount grab maybe one of those guys maybe I put Kniebel in there just because he had great numbers and mm-hmm. is young the market uh, agrees so maybe I get something like Kniebel, uh, Diaz, because I like that you can handcuff Diaz. Um, uh, with, with Nicasio? With Nicasio. I don't think that anybody else is going to take that job. So, and, and if you're talking draft and hold, you're, you've got to basically have your whole bullpen. So, you know, uh, like a, a bullpen for me might be Kniebel, Diaz, um, Nicasio, and then it'll be a whole bunch of people that pieces of bat of uncertain Box, bullpens. Boxberger, Givens, um, and in this situation, Carl Edwards Jr. fits right in. Uh, yeah. and I was screw probably, over the guys who aren't who are in those uncertain situations and get their handcuffs. Yeah. Get I their love handcuffs it. They get it. Especially if you can see the way the draft is going, that you know, the guy who has Brandon Morrow is gonna be up next um, after you, and you can say, Yeah, I'm gonna take that Carl Edwards. 
No, I, I love that. And if you got if you got like a Knievel, like a, a super stud, and then a Diaz as your one-two, that's already excellent. And then you're speculating on a couple others and a 50-round draft and hold. I mean, obviously the best laid plans, we, we know how that can go. But I do like that as a game plan. Get in a yeah. few other bullpens after you get your two guys. And, and you know, because in case one of them busts, now you have some other avenues uh, for potential and success. I'd, yeah, and I'd rather put my fingers in a lot of pies. than easy. easy. This is a R-rated show. No, actually, never mind. I'm not talking like American Pie. Uh, but uh, I, I'd rather put my finger in a lot of pies after I like, I want to have that elite that I'm like, if I win this year, you know, uh, like Knievel is going to be a closer all year. Right. And I don't want to spend any time handcuffing my elite guy. Cause I can't, don't have that many roster spots. Maybe there's two closers. I try not to handcuff uh, because the handcuff, you know, it can muck up your roster and, and take up slots that you could use to get into other, other bullpens, you know? Um, so, you know, rather than pick a Fernando Rodney late, I might pick a better pitcher because, you know, Rodney, I'm going to be thinking is my closer or whatever. I might pick Addison Reed instead of Fernando Rodney. Not to so, jump yeah, ahead. You, you, you got to make the assessment of is your handcuff better than the second, the handcuff of a different bullpen that you might not be in? I get the idea of handcuffing. You you have it from a certain team and it and that certainly feels better as an outlook. But if the if the um, like you said, like Addison Reed or the Carl Edwards, if they're the better pick, then then your backup, then get get your hand in another bullpen because uh, of how uncertain those situations are and how much volatility there can be. So I definitely um, I definitely like that solution. And the, the 50 round draft and holds definitely create a whole new dynamic to approaching bullpens. So um, any love for Strope? You mentioned Carl Edwards Jr. I like Edwards Jr. a lot, too mainly because he's built like me, but uh, Strope is pretty good. And he's done a few things out of the bullpen as well. Would you, where do you handicap him in all of this? I just don't think they trust him. I mean, I know that there was some Carl Edwards trust issues in the postseason, but Strope was like dead. But they kept going back to Edwards Jr. too. So you would almost say that they They almost trusted him too much. Right. By the way, I overstated it. I thought, I thought Strope had like a 10 save season somewhere. He's actually never had more than three. They've so, never trusted him. It's almost like that Luke Gregerson situation. He has a great slider. He, it came up in my – I just did a, a query for um, a, a sliders. I did two times whiff rate plus ground ball rate, and he had the best slider in, in the big leagues again last year. And that's he's done that a lot, like three years running or something. Strope or Gregerson? Yeah, Strope. But he's oh. just so wild, I think. And, um, you know, it, it, it. I think of the Romo, Gregerson, uh, Strope guys – uh, if you throw a ton of sliders, I think you're susceptible to hanging one and uh, and giving up the big home run. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that uh, they I think it's sailed on. I think they're happy to have him as a depth piece in their bullpen, but I don't think they want him to close. I think that's fair. And, and like I said, I, I had a, a misrepresentation of how many um, saves he'd had in, in a past season. Three is the max. I think Edwards Jr. is the spec there for the Cubs. Let's move over to the White Sox. We already kind of hinted at that. Joaquin Soria, Juan Manaya, Nate Jones. Who? Nate Jones. Um, open situation for a reason. It's garbage. But you can mine some value out of that. I think Soria is going to be the guy to start. But then Manaya and Jones lingering. Jones with health issues. Uh, Manaya had the job a little bit last year. How do you handicap the uh, White Sox situation? 
I don't want any part of it. <laughs> Why not, dude? You don't want 34-year-old Joaquin Soria, dog? I am. With out. two total saves the last two years combined? And, you know, always seemed to be kind of on Razor's edge because he always had that 90-mile-an-hour fastball, and there were periods where he got he got whooped. Uh, and he was terrible in 16, bounced back last year. No and one's again, gonna, yeah. No oh. one's gonna get him the ball in a in a uh, in a safe situation either. <laughs> That's a good point. It is the White Sox, and they're you know they could jump ahead of schedule and maybe be decent this year. But the the outlook, the the projections are saying it's another down year, and then next year should be their pickup year. Maybe the second half of this year they start to do some things, but that that'd probably be after they trade a bunch of guys like Soria, trade yeah. a bunch of veterans, and then a, a young team plays well for a couple months. I could see something like that, but I don't think that they're going to be really pushing too much this year. I don't see James Shields going eight and then passing it off to Soria. I'm actually really surprised that James Shields is still in the league. I did not know that. I'm really surprised, I it, but I didn't know it. I'm really surprised the White Sox did not have the worst bullpen in the league last year. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you know who did? Now you know. Yeah, of course I know. I would have known anyway because <laughs> it's every year. It's every single year. It's of they course have not. The they have not been that good at putting a bullpen together, have they? Never. And then I already lament this like all the time, but you watch what the Angels did on the fly last year and not one time could the Tigers do that when they were in their competitive window. <laughs> not one time could they just have it all come together where they find like four solid relievers and it's like, holy crap, they built this bullpen on the fly. Nope. Never. And yeah, it's going to be the worst one again this year, by the way. And we're not even going to talk like Shane Green's the guy. It's not an uncertain situation. I think he's the guy. We're not We're not even talking Detroit's bullpen today. But, you know, in some ways, I'd rather have Shane Green uh, because he's... He's set. Well, do they have him for a while, or is he running up on the end of his time? I don't think so. I think he's probably got two more years after this. I see he's like a 21 sort of guy. It's like one of those things where he's been around... Yeah, free agent 2021. Okay. So if, they, if they've got him uh, for a while... I think they just let him they set and forget, kind of. And yeah, the bullpen around him might be worse, but with Saria, you're contending with a bad bullpen and the fact that he could be traded and the fact that he's probably a worse pitcher than Shane Green. I agree. I agree. And that's why I would, I would, I would rather have uh, Green for sure. But what about, okay, so. Well, so I suppose like Nate Jones. Who? Nate. <laughs> Jones, sorry. Jones, like, um, real late, real light, real deep, you know? No love, point, no love on Manaya, who had some saves last year? He's 32 years old. Can you believe that? Nate Jones? Yeah. Yeah, I can believe that because he's been around for a while, and injuries have ravaged that guy's career. Yeah, it's and, funny. They signed him to a real cheap deal. Um that pays him four million dollars this year, and yeah. and and even the options are still pretty nice, but it's like thirty three, thirty four, thirty five, and pitched eleven innings last year. Yeah, but uh, he's had three years where he had seventy innings, and two of those years were excellent, and so therefore uh, there's a two and three shot. This is just seventy. <laughs> That's not how math works. Uh, anyway. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. That's exactly uh, how math works. That's how my math works. <laughs> I think I would rather have Nate Jones than Saria 
the deeper the league is. I'd rather take Jones, especially like in that 50 round draft and hold. Jones is like one of your final three picks. Why not? I agree. I agree. All right, let's move on. White Sox, not not that exciting. I don't know how open this one is, but maybe it's – I'm going to admit that my bias here on the KC situation is that Kelvin Herrera is amazing in MLB The Show. And you all know I play that game. And so I'm trying not to, like, let that influence my real-life <laughs> aspect because this stuff is nasty. And obviously it's been nasty in real life before too, but he had a tough year. I thought he was going to take the role – and and become a stud. I really did. I mean, he had five really great years as a middle reliever. Well, not not they weren't all really great, but you add it all up, and it was really great. 354 innings, 257 ERA, 111 WHIP, a strikeout per inning, under three walks, half a homer. You know, it was just he was a really good pitcher. I was like, oh, 27 year old going to get the job. He's going to be a beast. Got bit up by the home run situation. Uh, the strikeouts tumbled, the walks jumped, doubled because he had actually a 1.5 rate in 2016. And maybe we should have regressed that already because it was such a sharp improvement over what he'd done. But he bounced right back and gave it all back and jumped up to three. So it was a tough year. He lost the job in 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 spells here and there. Herrera did. So I just I don't know if if they're going to just go with him out of the gate again and try to let him do it. Or if they're going to have somebody else kind of emerge, but I felt like it was worth discussing. Brandon Mauer's there. Ryan Bookter from the left side is there. What do you think about the KC bullpen? Mm. Yeah, I think he's a risk to be traded to. I think they might not be very good. Um, Agree. Until they sign Kane, Moustakas, and Hosmer. Getting the band (laughs) back together. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's so weird. Moustakas is sitting out there, and there's no... There's no real good team for him to go to. I mean, the Yankees have about 15 million, but is, you know, or maybe, maybe, maybe 20 million, but is he going to go to the Yankees for 15 million a year? Well, and, you know, they're, they're still lingering out for Machado next year, right? I mean, isn't that the kind of yeah. thing about like, let's, let's place hold third base this year, maybe even bring Todd Frazier back and let him and, then, and Miguel Andujar handle it and then make a push for Machado. So I don't even think that. And the Mets seem like the kind of team that should maybe sign Moustakas, but they don't have the money. Yeah. St. Louis, Justin Mason points out St. Louis is the dark horse. I think St. Louis is dark horse in a lot of these discussions. There's a couple great fit. I think any infielder could, because they've got Carpenter who can play anywhere Mm -hmm. and maybe not amazingly, maybe he should be a first baseman, but if they can get an infielder and push him over to first base that, you know, makes that team hum. So, um, yeah, I could see Mustakas going there. But anyway, uh, Herrera seems like a real candidate to be traded. However, uh, there's not a lot of opportunity to assume he'll be traded and try to get ahead of him because Maurer has not really turned out to be even a good reliever. I thought he'd be a better reliever than this. I certainly did, too. I, I, I bought in the flashes. There, there, there was stuff there. Uh, there were flashes of brilliance performance-wise, too, but it's never really it's never really come together. Bookter, like I said, left-hander, not sure he's a major threat. You know, another left-hander that could have been an interesting threat was the guy who was traded out to the Dodgers. The guy they had last year, Scott Alexander, was a mm-hmm. really nice uh, lefty that they had there. And that's a bullpen that always has a few lefties, so you could see a lefty assuming the role. Uh, but he's gone. So I think Herrera kind of has it by default, at least to start. 
and then it, possible trade, like you're saying, we'll we'll see what happens there. So I'm probably going to buy back in uh, ideally as a, a a closer three. Not really my second guy this year, the way I was I was jumping on him last year. But um, this is Herrera. Yeah, this is Herrera. I'm talking about. I would I would get him as a as a closer three, ideally. And, I mean, uh, he he has better stuff and rates than a lot of the guys who are going to be available as closer three. I mean, we've talked and we've been talking about some of these guys who are going to be available. Blake Parker kind of popped up out of nowhere. Who's the next guy we're going to talk about? Mm-hmm. Uh, segue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like Fernando Rodney, please. But by the way, it's perfect that you mentioned Blake Parker. Let's we can fold in the the Angels here because it's Parker and Bedrosian. So Kelvin Herrera is is uh, right next to Blake Parker in ADP. So it's fitting that you bring those two up. Blake Parker's at 206 on the ADP. Kelvin Herrera's at 215. So they're going right by each other. Blake Trinan, just a little bit ahead of them at 196. We're not talking Oakland because it is Trinan. He's he's pretty set there. I don't really think they're going to uh, have him pushed at the beginning. So would you rather have Parker or Herrera uh, as your closer three, or would you rather jump up a, a round earlier and take Trinan? I might like Trinan, actually. Uh, I have a piece going out on The Athletic tomorrow about how I think Trinan can be a dominant closer. And I basically, this is amazing. I tried to find pitch comps. Check this out. Uh, uh, Carlos Martinez's sinker plus uh, Luis Severino's slider. <laughs> that is that's insane. What he, that's what his stuff is. And if you watch Blake Trinan, you know that's true. Of course. The problem, that- the problem is sort of command and sequencing, I guess. For sure. But uh, um, Nick Pollock of the Pitcher List and also of, of Rotographs did a top 150 pitches of the year uh, compilation video. It's awesome, by the way. I, I commend it to everybody. Blake Trina was in there so often. I just kept yeah. seeing Blake. <laughs> that slider, Trina too, like, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like a ninth mile slider, slider that just drops like a curve. It's disgusting, but... Even some of those pitches, they were included, but the catcher couldn't even catch them. It, it, it was just yeah. showing like the nastiest pitches too. So some of them weren't even quote unquote good because the catcher couldn't really do anything with it. And it was, it was even if it was a strike three, the guy got to first, or it just ended up being kind of a, a weird ball. But it was such a nasty pitch that yeah, he wanted to display it. The point is, the stuff is super super nasty. And I remember you comped him to uh, like a right-handed. Zach Britton a couple years ago with his sinker as well. And it took Britton a little bit to get it. And maybe this is the year it finally starts to click with, with trying I know we've t- talked up trying last year and it didn't really come together with the nationals, but then with the athletics, he quietly went over there was hit 98 with regularity, 27% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate yeah. and 13 saves. I really like trying So I, I would I, probably I, jump him. I, I would rather get him over one of the Parker Herrera because they're in uncertain situations. Yeah, and Herrera is a good pitcher, and I, I like I said already, like he, I think he could be traded. I, I think that the Athletics are going to be better than the Royals next year. I agree. Full. And full. I'm not sure that the Athletics are really going to be in tear it down mode at the at the uh, the break. And if they are, I guess Trinan and Graveman are probably. I, I don't see it. I, I, I agree with you on the first point, saying that they're probably not going to be doing that. I could see maybe some of their uh, oldest— Fighting for the wild card or something? I could I could totally see them you know, in feasible contention where they're like 6-7 back, which obviously wouldn't be a great setup, but not to the point where you automatically tear it down. And Trinan's only going to be 30, 
Um, and if they are kind of on the come up, if, if they see themselves like that, you know, they added Piscotty. Their lineup up and down is devoid of like superstars, but they're they're quality bats, pretty much not a lot top of holes. to bottom. Yeah, yeah, not a lot exactly. Of holes, and, uh, the, the Royals have holes everywhere, um, and uh, and Her- Herrera himself has had bad years recently. Parker, I like a lot. He told me, you know what he, you know what changeup he's throwing? Which one? The the changeup he's throwing right now? No, I don't. Which one? Tyler Clippards. Oh, okay, now that's one of the Isn't sickest changeups. Yeah, yes. he learned Tyler Clippards changeup, and he, he he uses the curve sometimes, but he used to be fastball curve, and now he's fastball Tyler Clippards changeup, and it's Tyler Clippard throws like eighty nine and. Blake Parker throws like 95. The only problem is that Blake Parker's been injured a lot, and he's throwing a new pitch for him, really. Yeah, uh, and he, he busted out last year, but he don't don't get it twisted. He's not some young buck on the come up. He's gonna be 33. Yeah, so he's, he's trying to Cameron hold this Drogen, lightning. Who they kind of seem to be betting on forever. They love Cam Bedrosian. Every time he came back from the DL, it seemed like they wanted to get him back in the role. And I get it. He's good. But, man, Parker, what what did he have to do to get the damn role last year? He was so good. Um, but one last thing on Herrera. Maybe Oakland would be a good fit for him. You know? Oh, yeah, that'd be like fun. Maybe, maybe they would, would, would be good to get, yeah, to get him, strengthen their own bullpen. Um you know, you can still keep trying and as the guy. Anyway, just a little something on that. Uh, but with this L.A. situation, so we moved on from KC over to L.A. Parker v. Bedrosian. It's the young buck uh, versus the the elder statesman. Neither can it, stay healthy. Yeah. Do you think? See, that's the thing that makes it hard for me. Do you think it's a good handcuff situation or not? I mean, it's two guys, but what if it's think what if Andrew Bailey problem. or I don't even know if they signed him, but what if it's some third guy that ends up well, getting a bunch of saves when they're Keenan hurt? Keenan Middleton, the young the young guy yeah. that also uh, was a, came up out of nowhere. I think the problem is actually no. Okay, I'm gonna correct myself here. I thought that Bedrosian was a little bit more expensive, and I was gonna say the problem is you got to pay like two picks within the top 250, but Bedrosian's actually down at 327. So with that cost, he's down there with uh, Juan Manaya and uh, Carl Edwards. And a guy we're going to talk about in the Texas situation, Alex Claudio. So the fact that he's down there that low, I could see uh, handcuffing the Angels. I, I'm in on the Angels this year. I bought in on, on what they've done. I actually saw them as a sneaky team coming into last year. They ended up being kind of sneaky at 80 and 82, but not the path that I thought. So I don't really claim that as as being right. But I, my point is I, I've seen the talent that's, that's here with the base. And, of course, anytime you got Trout, you got some sort of chance. And they've built a good team around it. I would go Parker Bedrosian. I wouldn't be against getting both in in situations, not even just the fifty team draft and hold either. Yeah, uh, there's a there is an argument to be made for passing on Train and, and Herrera and trying to do Parker Bedrosian at a turn later, um, you know, or not even at a turn. But if you can do Parker and then wait three more rounds and get Bedrosian, there is that risk though where. With Tran and Herrera, like if the season plays out and there are no trades, and we often say don't bank on trades, exactly. Um, then uh, Tran and Herrera are are better bets to keep the job from health reasons. Um, and then all of a sudden with Parker, you have to eat up two roster slots. So it has a little bit to do about the particular particularities of your league. That fifty round draft and hold, you have more roster slots. Mm-hmm. Uh, to 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 give up and a Parker Bedrosian combination might be better for you than training because you kind of lock down maybe the Angels bullpen um, unless whereas, Jim Johnson creeps in. Right, he, well, he's the veteran. You were saying Bailey, yeah, like, Jim veteran, Johnson's yeah. the sneaky veteran who could 
crap on he everything. Could he could, but in a like a twelve team league, you can't like roster spots are at a premium. There you want training because you don't you can't handcuff. Exactly. Like you a really Yahoo, don't want to be Yahoo league, you, you don't have you have like you have three reserves. Yeah. And if you if you use you have four like I can use four relievers. I often my bench in Yahoo is almost always all starting pitchers. And then I have four closers or four relievers. But if it's a 12 teamer, you can almost get four closers and you wouldn't even like we said earlier, put your finger in more pies as opposed to uh, as opposed to uh, handcuffing one of your guys. Yeah, if you I handcuff one of your guys. You say the most I the most closes I can have on this team at any time is three. But if you if you if you take uh, as your third closer Blake Trinan and your fourth closer quote unquote is Cambridge Rosen, you have a chance of having four closers. I, I like it, and I told I totally agree that it's league specific, and these deeper leagues are much more open to uh, the handcuff situation. So I would definitely be careful getting too handcuffy in your twelve. And even your 15-team mixers, you got to be careful. It depends on how many reserves you got. Yahoo and ESPN default to three reserves. You can't really be doing too much of the, yeah, of the handcuffing. It's a good point. In AL Labor, I handcuffed um, Edwin Diaz last year. And I handcuffed him with the guy that I think they went to for like a day. Was it um, Tony Zick? Yes, yes. And then he got hurt, right? And then he got hurt, and then they just went really went back to Diaz, and I don't I think maybe one other guy or two other guys got like a save each, and I think yeah, I, even I spent money on those guys because I was like horrified I'd lose, and I only ended up with Seattle saves. I like I think I got like one or two other saves. I think I spent too much money on Juan Manaya late, and I got you know I got very few saves, and I didn't I was middle of the pack in saves. If I had said you know what screw it, it's Edwin Diaz or I'm done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then I should have what I should have done is get two or three other relievers from other bullpens and jump in on on those and and try to spike. I, it, it Maybe we're making makes, the argument that handcuffs are bad. Well, again, it's it's league dependent for sure. Draft and, and, and hold, fifty round draft and hold, handcuffs are good because you have lots of roster slots and you're kind of trying to dominate certain bullpens. And I would make the case that like in an AL only like that, I, the Bedrosian Parker in that in the AL labor. I would like it there because they're both pretty solid that even if they're not closing, you can use them at the back end of your of your staff, right? And you put nine guys DL, out there. So if, exactly. they're, if they're good or hurt, then that's fine. So the point is, is you can't just take these closer strategies and use them across all leagues. You yeah, really so. have to be smart about what kind of league you're in to determine um, whether or not you can use these guys. So, all right, we got a few more here, so we're going to have to kind of pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, Miami? Who cares? Uh, Brad Ziegler might be the closer. It doesn't matter. I seriously don't even want to talk about it because it is. I don't recommend anybody mess with that situation at all. Cal Bearclaw's there. Uh, a fake person named Drew Steckenrider's there. These are not real players. Uh, Drew Steckenrider, brother of Tom Murphy, fake players. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think gonna open with the job, and that's about all I have to say on it. Ew, really? Yeah. I is mean, they signed him to a two-year deal, right? I mean. It's not going to be bear claw off the jump, I don't think. Yeah. So if anything, you start with Ziegler and then you try to flip him too for anything. You get a C C minus level prospect. They've already they've already said that they they want to trade him. So I think I might. uh, You know, I don't know. Second rider. I think I might put second rider second and over bear claw. The bear claw has gone really far in and out. 
his slider has worked and not worked, and his command, I think, his natural command, I, his second I, right is not very good either, but I think Bear Claw's might be worse. Yeah, uh, Bear Claw actually just walked me. I just got a four-pitch <laughs> walk from Bear Claw while being on the podcast. That's crazy. Um, no, he. I mean, it's terrible. It's really bad. And Second Rider came up last year and did have a 4.7 uh, walks per nine himself. But Bear Claw has now done it for wow. like three straight years. 5.5 walks per nine yeah. for his career. Jeez, like, I wasn't even looking at that. <laughs> you, can't, you can't let a guy like that close because yeah. it's just going to be manager, so sweaty. Yeah, sweaty. <laughs> Every time you're going to be sweating because there's going to be a guy on base. And so, no, I, I think it's Ziegler, and I agree. Steck, Steck and Ryder has to show that he is not going to be the next Bear Claw in the 4.7 walk rate and say, okay, get, His, move that down a little bit. But Minor league rates aren't as bad as as, uh, as Bear Claws. I, I think Steck and Ryder might be all right. I think Steck and Ryder, how about uh, we put Steck and Ryder up against some of our seconds? He's probably behind Cambridge Erosion. Yeah. Um, He's probably maybe ahead of Brandon Maurer. Better pitcher yes, than Brandon Maurer. Yes, Brandon Maurer. Uh, I would rather have Stecken Rider over Maurer and Casey. What about ahead first? of most of the White Sox? That's what, that the next one I was going to ask. But behind <sighs> Carl Edwards? No, I would still take Edwards. I don't trust Morrow. I like Morrow, but I'm. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm saying. So, uh, so Stecken oh, yeah, Rider behind behind, uh, behind uh, Edwards. Yeah. Yes, behind. Yeah. What and uh, behind the White Sox guys, Nate Jones. Um, if Jones comes in and looks healthy, I would take Jones over Stecken Rider. But if it's if it's just kind of like he's not looking that great or whatever, and Soria Manaya Jones all kind of being bland, I might go Stecken Rider ahead of that whole situation. There you go. But we're talking about near the bottom of the bin. Yeah, and I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Let's move over to Minnesota. Because <laughs> this him. guy, Addison Reed, might be the best number two to buy anywhere. And he'll be owned in every league. Fernando Rodney's the guy. They brought him in. They said he's going to close. They brought in Addison Reed. They said That's, this doesn't change anything There's gonna uh, be, at least to start. There's going to be leagues where Addison Reed is owned and Fernando Rodney's not. Or, or, Fernando um, Rodney yeah. is giving up bombs in winter league. Did you hear no, that? He's, just trying, he's it's in mid-season form. I hadn't heard that. That's that's <laughs> hilarious. Um, there's definitely going to be. I agree with you on the leagues where it's going to be Reed is owned and and Rodney isn't. But there's definitely going to be a lot of leagues where Reed actually goes ahead of Rodney. There's always going to be like ready to spec and they're going to jump him there. Um, I'm not ready to zig against that zag anyway either. I I think Rodney's close to done. So. One year, yeah. one year, no one's going to care about that fastball, and everyone's going to lay off the changeup. I'm, hmm? I'm just I'm just not there. There's yeah, no situation. I, I'm taking Rodney even for the I did it. I think it was last year. I did. I can't remember who I drafted that was hurt. And I was like, OK, let me get a month of saves from from Rodney. And I and I I did. I followed it and I cut him at that month point. And I think he had like um, a five billion ERA. And I got <laughs> six saves. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So Sean Chacon. 1260 ERA. Even Sean Chacon thought that was a a, a bad move. <laughs> Joe month. Borowski. Sean Chacon. The Chacon zone is one of the greatest uh, th- things I've ever seen on the Rotograph site. Just it's the Chacon zone. Chacon zone. The crappiest closers out there. And R- Rodney is that guy now. Saves are important. They're precious. They're not that precious to me. I would rather take pretty much. All of these second, well, the Boxberger, the Reed, the Bedrosian, the Edwards, the Givens, uh, maybe some of the guys that we're going to talk about on these last two teams over Rodney. I'm just not jumping in on a 41 year old Rodney. That's a time bomb. I just can't do it. And Reed, 
Reed over everybody, but maybe Boxberger. Exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Yeah, I mean Boxberger's, and maybe Bedrosian. Bedrosian, Reed, Boxberger are your premium spec closer options. I think. Agreed. Agreed. Let's move on to St. Louis. Uh, they're really an open situation right now because I don't. I don't rule out them getting in the market. We are going to mention some free agents. Actually, I'll mention them now because they could really be in on them. There's uh, the two that are really stand out are Greg Holland and their their own guy Sengwon Oh. Uh, both free agents. Those are the two that are out there that I think could really come in and, and close right off the top. I don't know that someone's going to get Tony Watson to come in and close. I don't know that Glenn Perkins is going to go nab a job. The aforementioned Tyler Clipper, they're out there too. And Romo, um, those guys are all out there, but I really think it's O or Holland that could take a job right but now Norris? in St. Louis. Uh, yeah, Norris. Depends uh, I, I chucked and ducked a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought Norris maybe we were being a little bit uh, cheeky with it, but maybe, but maybe, you know, Rodney keeps getting jobs. Maybe Norris gets another chance. Gregerson, Luke Gregerson and Tyler Lyons are the two front runners right now, a righty and a lefty. Um, Cecil would still be there as a, as a middle innings lefty if they did go with Lyons. So I don't think that that, leftiness completely rules out lions and we've talked about how despite what a decade of good numbers gregerson never really gets a great opportunity to close so this could be just another one of those situations how do you handicap this uh, st louis situation do they go with one of these two or do they d- jump in the market who is bidding against us? yeah i think st louis is looking around and being like there's nobody bidding against us for greg holland no, there and isn't because all the other situations um, are are handled or it wouldn't be teams that would sign him. The White yeah. Sox are going to get Greg Holland. That doesn't make any sense. And uh, and Greg Holland, I think if it was a better reliever like a Wade Davis, maybe somebody could say well, we're going to sign him and then flip him when we're bad or whatever. But Greg Holland has terrible mechanics, or at least it looks like to me. He's always falling no, he off does. the mound. No, that's not just you. That is, He's been injured. He has these bouts where he loses his slider. He loses his walk rate. Um, I, I, you know, the White Sox could, yeah, the White Sox could sign him to a three-year deal and then just end up eating all that money. So, um, yeah, That's a hot potato. I don't think that a, a lower-end team wants to mess with. He's and I think St. Louis is like okay with signing him. They just don't want to sign a lot of money. And they they made bones were like oh we don't need a proven closer well dudes you you waited so long there's not even the unproven closers like exactly it's all sketchy right now yeah. with the guys they have or they got to turn back to o or get holland and you know we'll holland trade for somebody down. and and arbitration overvalues closers so like and everybody's like trying to hold on to the relievers and stuff so like who are you going to trade for even well the biggest one that they've been rumored with is Colome. he's he right. that rumor's been uh, simmering. I wouldn't say blazing, but it simmers pretty much. They have assets. They have assets but... Of course they could, but to your point, okay, so he made, okay, never mind. His, his arbitration's already done. I thought it was going to go up from here, uh, but it went up to 5.3 mil. He went up from 600,000 to 5.3 for college. first year. Because he's, because, because he, he saved 37 and 47 the last That's two exactly years. This is what, what we're, we're talking about. about. Yep. This is 5 million. This is why Bradley might not close. It's an economics thing to go from 550,000 to 5.3 million based yeah. on 70, uh, 80, 84 saves in the last two years for Colomay. But even a Ross Risica, I know made like 3 million and if he could be available, but the Braves always seem like they're trying to, trying to build. Who, who's that you're talking about? 
brought us this guy in. Yeah, I think they want to keep him. I think they they're looking at. Um, I think their perfect world is an Arodis Vizcaino, AJ Minter, devastating one-two punch at the back end of their bullpen. AJ Minter, by the way, a big NL only one-dollar guy that I like. He was absolutely disgusting when he came up last year, finally getting some health. But uh, yeah, I don't think they want to trade Vizcaino. He's he's still just. I know he's been in the consciousness for like fifty-two years uh, because he was a you know, prospect type. But he's still just going to be 27 years old. So he could be their guy. He could be the closer for the next great Braves team that's on on the come up. So I think Colomay is really the best uh, potential trade option. And, you know, 5.3 mil is still better than paying Greg Holland, what, 15? By the way, Greg Holland turned down the qualifying offer, right? And it was 18 million. He's not going to get that. Of course not. But he, he might wants get years, and I get yeah, he it. wants years, so he'll get three, and maybe they'll give him three and thirty. I was thinking maybe three and thirty-five. Like, is he gonna go from settle for ten mil after turning down eighteen? Oh my god, that'd be tough. Yeah, I mean, I know. Let's look at I the know market. It's the total. Other than the total. Wade Davis, because Wade Davis kind of blew the top off, but sure. Brandon Morrow two for twenty basically, um, and he's gonna be a closer. Did any other closer sign? Not really. That uh, Addison uh, Reed is close, and he got three and twenty-eight. No, well, and okay, he only made six mil last year, and the most he's ever made is eight point three mil for Greg Holland. So maybe an eleven, twelve million dollar deal, but for three years, if he wants the years that badly, maybe that'll get it done. Three for what 30. would you rather do? Go for Holland or trade assets for Colin? I think I would rather at three for thirty-three. I think I'd do that. I don't think the Cardinals are that cash strapped. You know, it's ten million a year. It's easy to get out of it. You know, later yeah. if it doesn't work out. It's it's just money and not uh, prospects. They they've been um, you know linked to unless they are closer to the cap than I thought. I mean, I can I can look that up. But I don't think um, they are. I'm looking up and down their roster. Who would who would really be pushing it? They still have a good well, I mean, mix. What of if young... they want to sign Mustakis, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, they've yeah. been a team that hovers around one fifty million for the last two years. And right now they're at 144. So maybe they they only have money for one acquisition. Then they would, uh, I guess, trade for them. Uh, trade for, yeah, maybe they're looking at Mustakis versus uh, Holland, and Mustakis would provide the team more value. Um, so maybe you can put together a trade using some of your outfield depth, maybe Bader or something. Bader for Colome? Bader and a, and a a lower level piece for Colome with Tampa Bay. I mean, it depends always on what Tampa thinks of Bader. But if I was Tampa, I would do that because we, you know, we we've we've said we like Bader. So yes, uh, I think he's a really good hitter. Um, I don't think Denard Span is somebody that has to be getting full time playing time. They could go um, Bader Span platoon with Kiermaier and Souza in the outfield. Oh, and Jose Martinez has been has been blocked, so it could he's be Martinez instead of Bader. Jose Martinez is also kind of maybe a first baseman, even though he's played the corner outfield, whereas Bader has more uh, defensive abilities. It, it just by virtue of being, what, six years younger, too? You know, Martinez, like another guy who had that nice little breakout last year, but don't get it twisted. He's he's a veteran for sure. It was, a, so it was one I, of those. It would have to be late. probably more pieces. That'd be Martinez plus maybe a good pitcher. Like a, like a more legit prospect. Um, Right. Obviously not more like quantity Reyes versus quality. You know, there was sorry, something really interesting came out in. Uh, was it? Yeah, I think it was in. Oh, yeah, it was in um, Kylie McDaniel's piece about uh, how teams are, are working. And he, didn't he say that um, he, he's talked to teams where they 
they wanted to have multiple lower ceiling prospects um, to to cover their ass and basically try to have more opportunities to to get somewhere. Oh, uh, okay. I hadn't read to, I hadn't read that piece yet. Suppose of like instead of getting Harrison Bader and trading Holloway for Harrison Bader and Bader doesn't work out, then people say you got nothing. Whereas mm-hmm. you should trade him for Jose Martinez plus um, two two. Josh uh, double A or lower guys plus Ryan Sheriff or something you know like to like a reliever and a I, I don't know these names so maybe I just named their best prospects but you know like a, a like two lower level prospects along with Jose Martinez then one of them works out then you say hey we got this one guy that's interesting so get the quantity because if one pops then you can say that was from that trade look at now we we did that as opposed to take that one shot on maybe the better guy yeah, like, uh, and then if he doesn't, like you go to the Astros and say, we want Derek Fisher for Derek, Garrett Cole. And they say, fine, we'll give you Derek Fisher, but only Derek Fisher. Exactly. And, and instead say, they said, well, let's get four guys exactly. and, and three of them are going to be on our MLB team right off the top. And if one of them pops, if Musgrove ends up being, uh, you know, a, a mid rotation guy, then you're like, boom, doesn't matter what happens to the rest of the guys. We got a mid rotation guy. Uh, much cheaper for Garrett Cole. So no, I totally get that. They have to spend a lot more to get Donaldson in trade. Donaldson or Machado, they have to spend a lot more than they would to get Colome. So I think you spend trade assets to get Colome, and you spend money assets to get the suppressed third price third baseman that's out there. Yep. I like yeah. it. So as it stands right now, if you're doing drafts, I wouldn't even mess with Gregerson Alliance because I really don't think that they're going to go in with those two, personally. That's how I feel on the Cardinals. I think it's going to be 33 years old and has never really been trusted. And yeah, One time, Gregerson was trusted. He got 31 saves. Other than that, and like I said, he's been great for a decade, stats-wise. And they just he just doesn't get the trust as a closer. Tyrell Lyons, solid lefty. Don't think he's somebody that, that a contending team wants to go in with as their primary closer. So I think they either uh, get in on some of this trade we're talking about with like a Colome or uh, Holland or, oh, bring back, oh, you know, they could they could also do that. I know he soured there, but uh, he certainly had some ability at, at times when he was there over the past, what, two years? Oh, was there for two years and now he's a free agent. Do I have that right? By the way, they got kind of wrecked when Rosenthal got hurt, right? And they yeah. ended up non-tendering him. He was he would, like he would have been their closer next year if he was healthy. I think yeah. he would have been a, a stud closer. He kind of got back on track last year. He was looking like like himself. So that's kind of a bummer there. So let's move on to our last situation. Texas. This one's easy. Texas is easy. Alex Claudio, Keone Kayla, and Jake Diekman. It's I only want one Alex. guy. I only want one guy. Diekman. No. Kayla. I like. I don't. It. Diekman's a lefty, right? Yeah, and so is Claudio, and Claudio is like a— Claudio uh, throws 75 miles an hour. He's a left-handed you know all day, yeah. yeah. You know you know what's really funny, actually? I just did, ran the numbers for pitching close to your max. I haven't written it up yet but uh, because I'm waiting on it because Alex Cobb um, pitches closer to his max than everybody but like five pitchers in the league. So I'm waiting for Alex Cobb to sign. Then I'll have this leaderboard of who pitches close to your max because starting pitchers who pitch close to their max— um, get hurt more often. It's more stressful. So well, it makes sense that Cobb's up there then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but uh, an interesting thing that happened was I, Alex Claudio throws uh, like eighth close, like eighth closest to his max. Well, of course he does. His max is eleven. <laughs> I would hope that he's throwing close to his max. It is crazy. Like he's almost an exact. I said anything off. <laughs> I said O'Day. Um, he he's almost like a, a, a supercharged O'Day, which. 
might sound like it throws harder, but like a, a softer throwing O'Day from the left side. It's crazy. <laughs> charged it's, in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like supercharged on the the fact that he just floats it up there. And, you know, he was all right. Uh, like he had a great season, um, but as a closer, it's I don't think it's somebody that you really want in there. Um, 82 innings, I would rather get those 82 innings out of him in middle relief. Uh, he's a better asset that way. So for me, it is Kayla versus Diekman. I love Diekman but I don't know that they're going to thrust him into the role either. He came back last year. I think he had colon surgery. So his year was kind of wiped out. He did come in, uh, finish out the season on the mound. He was still getting the swings and misses, but another big walk rate guy like those Miami guys we were talking about. And last year in his 10 innings, he walked 10 guys. So it was, it was tough. I think he's a super long shot. So talk to us about Peony Kayla. He had a good year. And, and of the, um, iffy closers that we've talked about, I might like him. I think I, in my head, in my depth chart, Kayla's first. And so I'm putting Kayla up against Parker um, and Rodney and Gregerson and Ziegler. And he's clearly number one for me of that. And he's group. cheaper than all of them. Right. So those guys you I'm name all over Kayla. Like the, the end of my bullpen will be um, Brad Boxberger uh, uh, Camber Drosian and Keona Kila. After you get a stud or two, depending on the league size. Right, yeah, and I'm not talking. That's the end of my bubble pen. Yeah, the, I like it. I like it a lot. So t- that's talk the kind to of stuff I want to do. Huh? So he started off the season last year with a little bit of a, a, a discipline issue where he he was loafing it or 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 being sour on some backfield games. I think he didn't think he deserved to be on a backfield game or something like that. There was, there was an attitude situation. It wasn't his performance. So he got sent That's down. Well, you want that from your closer, man. I mean, I, I had this, this, this interview with Brad, Brian Wilson. I went into it being like, this guy is such a douche. <laughs> and, and you know what the interview was about? He was like, yeah, I'm a douche on purpose. And he's playing a character, right? Yeah, he said, that's what he said. He said, I can throw, he said, I throw a knuckleball out there sometimes. And I do it and I look exactly like I'm about to throw 95 at their head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they fall out of the bucket and they never hit that thing, even though it's not a great knuckler. He said, it's it's all part of the act. You got to have an act. And uh, I think Keela coming in there, throwing 97 miles an hour, doesn't have great control, uh, has a big old breaker that he can sometimes drop in there. You see a lot of times guys against Keeler all tied up trying to get the fastball and then Keeler drops a slow curve. It's not slow, it's 83, but you know, drops a curveball down the middle of the plate and they're not swinging at it. So And it's it's slow for what he's doing. That's a 14 right. mile per hour drop. Yeah. And I I remember him throwing like five straight breaking balls to to um um what's his face? Brett Lowry and uh and Brett didn't have a chance, even though he must have known the breaking balls are coming. It was part Wasn't of that like, the game. He had where like 15 he... straight breaking balls. Yeah. Yeah. They just breaking balled him for like an over. Yeah, it was the last guy at the end and he still couldn't hit him. So. So, yeah, Kayla is he also has a little bit of the walk issue, but it's not it doesn't rule you out from closing. It just puts some some pressure on it. Like we're talking about with some of these guys, but he's not a large correlation between walk rate and closing. There's definitely been guys that have a decent walk rate that close because their stuff is usually so nasty. And plus he's not up at the level of like bear claw with five plus walks. He's he was at 3.9 last year. His career is 3.5. That's a 9.6%. So if you're, if you're in the nine to 11% range, but you're striking out 30% as Kayla is that works. And they don't, 
batters don't hit him at all. A 205 career average against. He's nasty. So, yeah, he's going to have some walks, but he's probably going to strike out the next two guys anyway. He's 25 years old. I'm I'm fully with you on this one. I was specking on him at points last year, thinking that, okay, the, the disciplinary thing is done. He's back up. He was only in the minors for a brief moment. It was just a smack on the wrist to say, hey, you're the player or we're, we're management, so we're going to punish you. And then he was back up, and he had a really good season, but he never got in that closers role. I think this could be the year that, that Caleb breaks out age 25. I'm with you on uh, putting him up there. I wonder if there's some shenanigans here. For some reason, they have uh... – they have him for four years. Uh, I wonder if they sent him down the, to suppress the service time there. For yeah, him. under the guise of... He's in the middle of a bad out. year, right? Mm. Wow. I wonder if they got that fourth year. I don't know. I, I'm not actually probably as good at the CBA rules and all that crap as I should be. Um, so maybe it's something that happened way earlier. Maybe it was about how, how he's called up or the fact that he got hurt or something. But it's interesting. They have him for three more years in arbitration. And he got one million and one point two million in his first. I don't. I don't think that they necessarily need to suppress the salaries that much. They they lose a lot of salary off their books next year. They go from one twenty nine this year to seventy two next year. Adrian Beltre is gone. Uh, they don't have to pick up the option on Cole Hamels. Uh, Martin Perez can be gone if they want. Uh, Jake Diekman is gone. So uh, <clears throat> they're about to be a very young and cheap team. Um, I think they're going to kind of take a step back but not totally rebuild this year. Agreed. And, More and of a try to a build retreat. around Odor, Calhoun, uh, Mazzara, basically. Okay. I like it. And so yeah, it, it he has three career saves, Kayla does. So even if he comes out and puts up a thirty <laughs> save season, yes, it's gonna push his number up, but he's already at one point two mil. I don't think it would skyrocket I don't think it wouldn't go higher than Colomay's. I, I don't even think it would go that high. I think it would go maybe from 1.2 to say 4 mil if he went yeah. out and put up a great 35 save season or something, which is big, but not uh, prohibitive for them to not put him in the role. So right now, sites have Claudio as the guy and then Kayla and Diekman behind. You're saying pass on Claudio, go straight for Kayla, and he's a super late pick. Right now in um, NFBC, pick 409. This is this is like the Dyson thing. The the guy the one thing that we have been able to link to uh, closer change has been velocity and strikeout rate. And Claudio is not really good at either. Um, Pretty sick velocity though. Well, uh, it's sixty nine miles per hour. Yeah, he throws a lot of sixty nine <laughs> nice. miles per hour. It's very nice velocity. <laughs> but uh, so I think this is that's definitely one of the riper ones. Rodney Rodney and uh, Claudio I think would be the the closers on the hottest seats going in. Okay. And Ziegler, um, but like you said, who cares? Who, who really absolutely cares? Okay, that's going to wrap it up. We, we were promising a, a a closer deep dive here. We'll probably hit closers again sometime in March when situations are really settled and we can go throughout all the teams and kind of rank them, maybe have a, a, a closer ranking sort of situation. You know, it's great talking with you. I think we'll be back next week, hopefully with some more moves. that They, they have to happen at some point. By the way, a little bit of breaking news. Something happened? Yeah. Um, MLB trade rumors saying pitch clock likely for 2018 oh, yeah, despite that. ongoing disagreement. What do you think about I, that? Just get a few moments here uh, as we're wrapping up on your thoughts on that. Most pitchers did not average. Most pitchers averaged more than 20 seconds last year, so it will be a change. I don't really like it because you can manipulate the, the pitch clock. You can step off the mound. Um, well, here's the thing, too. I saw this on MLB 
network, and I agreed with this. I think it was a pitcher talking about it, so keep that in mind, a little bit of bias. But he was saying, I can't remember who it is or else I'd give credit. He was saying uh, it's usually more the hitters than the pitchers. That is, that's been shown to be the case, too. Um, and uh, if you do severely limit the amount of time between pitches for pitchers, that could lead to more of an injury risk because you're talking about recovery time right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, between pitches. So um, there's a lot of sort of stuff under the hood there that I think people don't really consider when they say, oh, you know, speed up the game without really changing the way the game is played. Uh, I think that's an admirable goal, I guess. Um, you know, if it if it leads to the batters uh, hurrying up too because the pitchers have to hurry up, then maybe they fix the batter problem through the pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's going to save a few a few minutes off of each game, but the, there is a uh, there is something to be gained there. If I did, I thought that every game went three hours, um, but it was it was pointed out to me that football and basketball games are more like two and a half hours. That's wrong. Every football game is guaranteed three hours. Doesn't I have like never that. I have never seen a football game that wasn't a minimum Maybe of three counting hours. Counting things weird. I like the 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 second game started four right. And, and and the first moved, games are at one. And they moved one to like four twenty-five too to account like that's like the yeah. special game of because they know that there's going to be run over and a lot of it is the reviews and everything that slows it down. Basketball, I never want to hear so a football often, fan. I come downstairs uh, from putting the kids to bed around nine, and uh, if there's a seven o'clock Warriors game on, uh, okay, maybe basketball is the quickest because sometimes it'll be in the fourth quarter. Uh, and be finishing up but and be if, two and a half. But if it's a closed game, those last few minutes. Yeah, a lot I, of times I would say though. basketball is, but football and baseball, you're you're in for three guaranteed. But at least in baseball, there's a chance you're not. And I think over the fat past few years, we've seen more games coming in under three. Like it can be done in football. I, I would it love guaranteed, right? Tweet, it yeah, like it's I would fair. love to see a sub three game uh, that is, you know, let's say sub two fifty. I'll give you ten minutes there, but. You're in for three, guaranteed. It, it, pace of play, when, when football fans tell me how boring baseball is, I just can't listen to them. There is boring baseball. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's never boring baseball games. I'll watch a boring baseball game because I'm obsessed, <laughs> but I get it. But football is remarkably boring, too. I cannot watch <laughs> I'm not, I'm, It's out of my life. Like I watched uh, like two halves of or three halves of three games this year, and it was only because Jimmy Garoppolo uh, – was good and got traded to uh, the, the Niners and all of a sudden the Niners were good. And I was like, well, that's interesting, but uh, you know, not interesting for enough for me to sit down for the whole game and, and slog through that crap. So I can only do red zone. Um, and cause that's the nonstop action. I do it for a couple hours on Sundays because I'm a fantasy player. And I'm listen, this is not like an anti football screen. The, what it really is, is football fans stop telling me how boring baseball is because your sport is remarkably boring as well. Like we're, we're in this together. This is why really I'm more feels like winter really Olympics feels like guy. something happens for like five seconds and then they have to discuss what just happened and uh, the on the field. And then they have to announce to you what just happened and then they start up again. Well, and it's usually wrong by the way, not only that, <laughs> not only do they review it, uh, extensively, but then they somehow still get it wrong, and then we go on to the next play. And I can't. <laughs> baseball can be boring with no, with uh, without the contact in play. You could see a lot of. Uh, you can go three, four innings without really having more than two, three balls in play. So again, this is not saying that baseball is never boring. It's that 
stop telling me how exciting football is in comparison. They both have pace of play issues, and both are strongly related to uh, instant replay, slogging yeah. those games down. So we'll see what this pitch clock thing does. I don't totally hate it. Um, I'm I'm kind of indifferent on it. I, I don't think it's like going to ruin the game or anything like that, as you'll see some people probably overreact and say. Um, we've seen it in you and I and, and Justin. We've seen it in AFL when we go down there. It's been in the minor leagues. It's not going to be the end of the world. Player batters need to get their ass back in the box more regularly, and they can help pick the pick up the pace of the game for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace.